1: Here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Wilsey. Well, hello and welcome to the Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Wilsey, President of Wilsey Asset Management. Great to have you here with us. So we got a great show lined up today. Going to talk about uh, CPI—that's the price index, consumer price index, inflation. Also, some words on China owning U.S. debt. That's no longer the big fear it used to be. We'll talk about why. And then growth companies, they're on fire. We'll talk about, uh, well, enlighten you on growth companies. And with me, is Chase. Chase?
2: Yeah, and as always, too.
1: I was not on. There we go. Well, a little technical issues.
2: But hey, good to be here, as always. want to break down some different companies today we're gonna to look at bj's restaurants that's b-j-r-i is the ticker symbol frankly I, I know you picked this one i'm not sure what the exciting news is about bj's have, have you ever eaten at bj's before I, i've eaten at bj's
1: all right well that's exciting, <laughs> that's exciting.
2: <laughs> i know people are spending money at restaurants So I I'm and curious. it is what is this weekend uh super bowl weekend but. Yeah. I, Do a lot of people go to BJ's for the Super Bowl? Oh, yeah. I I guess I I didn't know about that. So we'll we'll look at the numbers, see if, you know, maybe you go in there for Super Bowl. Maybe you want to buy the stock on Monday, too. Uh, Also, we'll look at Fox Corporation. Some interesting news here this past week with a joint venture between Fox, Disney's ESPN unit, and also to Warner Brothers Discovery. Uh, Curious on the numbers for Fox, see if it perhaps makes some sense to look at buying Fox's stock. And then lastly, we're going to look at Key Corp regional banks i'm gonna say kind of back in the news so want to see if if this regional bank could make some sense in your portfolio so excited to take a closer look at those three companies and break down those fundamentals look at the valuation ratios the balance sheet and and give you again an unbiased opinion on what we think about those companies
1: yeah a a lot to cover so let's go ahead and get started. let's talk about the cpi one of the main reasons i continue to believe the consumer price index cpi will continue to decelerate this year as I don't believe there'll be as much pressure from the shelter index. Now, in December, the median US asking rent price fell 0.8% from the prior year to $1,964. According to Redfin, this marked the third consecutive monthly decline as price dropped 2.1% in November and 0.3% in October.
2: Now, the rent price reflects new leases, which means I believe this will have a larger impact as we progress through the rest of 2024. I believe there'll be even less concern over rent increases going forward, considering the number of new buildings in the U.S. with five units or more. If you look over history, and we actually have this chart on our website, if you go to smartinvesting2000.com, you'll kind of see it going back to the 70s, the number of Uh, five units or more under construction and also two completed. But, I mean, these numbers are quite crazy because the completed buildings, well, that's near the highest level in over 30 years. And, frankly, the number of new buildings under construction is at levels we have never seen before. So, I mean, these apartment buildings, we talk about this all the time. These apartment buildings are going up like crazy.
1: And, and again, I I wish on radio you can see the chart again. You can see it at our website. You said it's there at uh, smartinvesting2000.com. But the chart, like they say, a picture, you know, says a thousand, uh, what, ten thousand words, a thousand words, whatever, a thousand, it, it, words, it. thousand <laughs> words, thousand, thousand words, not ten. This it's one 10 says thousand. ten thousand. This is ten thousand words. It is just amazing how that, when you see that chart, like, oh my gosh, th- you can see this gonna be problems down the road because there's gonna be so much inventory of rental units that they're gonna be giving away those rental units to try to fill them, which I think is gonna hurt the housing market because. A lot of people saying, you know what? I can rent this house for, here in San Diego, 4000 a month or get a beautiful apartment for $3,200 a month with six months free rent, a gym, uh, a no coffee No landscaping. Bar, no landscaping, no cutting the grass, no fixing the- <laughs> And I'll <laughs> tell you too,
2: yeah. I mean, I, I now rent, but it was great. When I lived at an apartment, if your dishwasher broke, they had somebody there yeah. on maintenance, they would come fix it that day, you were good to go. I mean- I still personally like living in a house better than an apartment, but for somebody that doesn't want those hassles anymore, I mean, this is definitely, especially if you look at the cost comparison analysis, it's like, well, yeah, I mean, I could get a house or I could get this really nice apartment for less because there's so many out
1: there. Mm-hmm. And again, for a lot of people, it's a great lifestyle. I mean, there's times that I wish I lived in an apartment because, oh gosh, now this broke, oh, now that broke. And I rented for a long time, I did finally buy, but I don't know, I, I, I do think apartment living in the right apartments, now not, you know, a bad one, but a nice apartment, I, I think it'd be a nice thing. And you would live in one when you first got here that had a movie theater in it yeah. and had a bunch of things. Yeah. yeah,
2: it was a nice spot down in UTC. And, uh, I, I mean, I enjoyed it. Like I said, I like the house a little bit better because I like to, you know, barbecue and, and, you know, smoke some meat on the weekends. But, uh, you know, it's, it's something that for the right person, I think this is a huge benefit because the more units out there, I mean, it's simple supply and demand. You know, you have more supply, well, that should pressure prices to the downside, and we mm-hmm. shouldn't see that that kind of rent increase that we've seen in the past couple of years, which is a big reason why I don't think we're going to have the same issues with CPI. And the big thing I want to point out as well is we talked about how this will help as we progress through the year, because you have to, again, understand how that shelter index is, is looked at. These new leases don't have a huge impact on it just yet. But as we get through the rest of the year, the more we progress, the more these Leases from October, November, December will impact that shelter index. The other part of the shelter index you have to realize, again, is the homeowner's equivalent, where you call somebody and ask, hey, what do you think you could rent your house out for? <laughs> we'll see what that looks right. like. But again, I think it's a little bit of a flawed system where this is real-time data. This is, I think, the important data to show that, frankly, the shelter index is not increasing at a problematic rate, and in fact, it has declined.
1: And and, and I know that we have uh, Robert Behick coming on later about the lack of inventory in real estate market, but we're talking about something different here about people living places, and we're talking about the apartments where they're going to be very aggressive, I'd say in the six to 12 months, offering great deals, and people are gonna say, gee, you know, I can almost live for free, which won't be the case, but almost, to where they're gonna have great deals. And again, it's as you mentioned, it's because of the high supply, they're not gonna let it sit there after they spent millions and millions of dollars to build these beautiful apartments. They need to get them rented. And, and again, you gotta look at that graph, then at smartinvesting2000.com, um, and that'll be in our newsletter section our most recent newsletter has this information and it'll be at
2: the very bottom of the page there
1: yeah and, and also too i generally promote promote the, the newsletter at the end but let's talk about it now the newsletter you can get that again at smartinvesting investing 2000.com that's smartinvesting dot 2000.com and it is worth getting for that graph i gotta tell you let's move on talk about china owning u.s debt i've heard have heard people worry about china owning u.s treasury debt over the last decade or so it truly has become a very small concern china now holds just 782 billion dollars of debt which trails china japan Japan. Yeah. Japan. Thank you. Japan is our largest holder <laughs> there. I saw Japan, but I, I didn't want to say Japan. But they hold it at $1.1 trillion. Uh, China still tops the UK, but the gap has been narrowing over the years as the UK, wow, surprising this, now holds $716 billion of US debt. The next largest foreign holder of our debt are Luxembourg at $371 billion, and Canada, our neighbor to the north. 321 billion with our debt now over 34 trillion china owns just over two percent
2: now compare that back to 2013 here when uh let's see here china actually had uh holdings of our debt at over 1.3 trillion dollars and our debt stood at close to 17 trillion dollars (laughs) again we're now at 34 trillion and what do we say china has 782 billion versus again 1.3 trillion versus 17 trillion back in 2013, and at that rate, China actually controlled uh let's see around seven percent of our debt so you kind of look at the numbers here and the the concerns are way overblown considering now it's just two percent the main benefit here though i'll say is china no longer could threaten dumping our debt and causing a major spike in interest rates i mean that would be the biggest problem i would foresee if they owned you know around 10 percent of our debt they say you know what we're done you dump all that on the market our interest rates would spike like crazy The downside is our debt has continued to grow and with less demand for our debt from China well interest rates are likely higher than they would be if China was actively participating in buying more of our debt remember like everything else these markets are based on supply and demand if there is more demand for our debt well prices would go higher and since there is an inverse correlation interest rates would then go lower
1: and and unfortunately for our debt situation china is going through a recession their economy is not doing well they're not going to buy more debt look at the numbers i mean uh china their debt is about in half what it was back uh in 2013 but yet our debt has doubled so it's a two-fold thing why china doesn't own much more and, and again they, i wouldn't mind them owning a little bit more i don't think they will but we don't want to get to that level where they had such a big impact because it was concern well what if china uh, says no, we're going to sell all your debt. It would cause a major problem in our economy. The interest rates would spike. So now we don't have to have that worry at all.
2: Yeah. I mean, I I was looking back to kind of 2022. It looks like China had, you know, a little over a trillion dollars. I mean, they have pulled back by gosh, about 150 billion. That's a pretty substantial decline over that time period. And like I said, the the gap between them and the UK is narrowed because the UK had about 610 billion and now at about 670 billion. So, you know, it looks like the UK is progressing to own more and, and maybe China down the road, maybe they'll still be barely in the top five.
1: I mean, it sounds like they're just getting rid of it, which Frankly, I trust the UK a lot more than I trust China. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I don't think we listed it here, but I remember seeing in the past that the biggest holder of U.S. debt, I believe, is the American people. Yeah,
0: remember this
1: that? is this is just foreign holders. Yeah, foreign holders. But but again, I mean, it's nice that we own our foreign or our own debt. As opposed to having to afford it because before i think china was the biggest holder of our debt even above uh, the american people i believe back at at that time yeah
2: now i i believe you are correct in that and oh oh gosh i just realized i was given the the 2023 numbers when i said china's debt was 859 billion so yeah over that two-year period they went from over a trillion to like we said about 782 billion so i mean their debt has really been cut down and the uk is now what do we say they have 6, $716, 716 billion. Billion. and just two years ago, they were at $610 billion. And I, I got to tell you, I was shocked when I saw Luxembourg was up there after, you know, and even ahead of Canada. I was like, I didn't yeah. even know where Luxembourg was, to
1: be honest. <laughs> well, at first, I thought it was like a city in Germany, but I thought that's not nice. right. It's its own country. Yeah. <laughs> I know It's, it. it's crazy. Know it. <laughs> so, but, uh, yeah, things have changed, so don't worry about that because people – and, and, and no one else really puts this out. You know, the media doesn't really tell you this. This is why for investors, it's important to know this because, oh, you know, we could have China do – no, China would be China could actually pretty much liquidate all their debt, and it wouldn't have a, a major impact on, on us at all at this point in time. Yeah, so.
2: and it, again, it always comes back to a number means nothing at all unless you have something to compare it to. Yep. You say $782 billion in debt. Yeah, that's scary. But again, it's the relationship between how much debt they own versus how much debt we've issued. you got to always look at the full picture rather than just the, the sound bites and listen to the headline numbers, essentially. Yeah, $782
1: billion versus $34 trillion. Yeah, 2%. Not 2%, yep. So well, let's move on and talk about uh, growth companies because I don't like to invest in the expensive growth companies because of the risk that comes with them. People often forget how much value they can lose and how long the recovery can be. One great example of this is Microsoft during the tech boom. In 1999, Microsoft could do no wrong and they were one of the most exciting companies in the world the stock had a P of split-adjusted value of $59.96 per share in December of 1999.
2: Now, the stock then fell dramatically during the tech bust and financial crisis, and bottomed out in March 2009 at a price of $15.15 per share. This resulted in a decline of about 75% over essentially a 10-year period. The shares would not reach the 1999 peak again until October 2016, essentially 17 years after it reached the tech boom peak. While the stock has done well as of late, how many people are patient enough to actually hold through a 17-year period with no growth? Also, too, not to mention, if you need to take income from your portfolio and you have a 17-year period with no growth, well, that would have been a complete disaster. I mean, you probably would have ran out of money. I think you definitely would have (laughs) ran out of money. While tech is hot
1: again, I still recommend people be careful as they often forget the lessons from
2: the past year.
1: And I managed money through the tech boom and bust, and it was a very difficult time. And that's why I'm really hesitant of buying technology. And people say, oh, but NVIDIA, oh, but Microsoft. And and the thing we talked, uh, Chase, you and I talked uh, on Friday about this, was that, you know, what about this whole AI thing? What if it doesn't produce the revenue they think it's going to do? And then the company say, well, you know what? We don't need any more chips. It's not making what we thought it would you can see some of these companies drop dramatically 30 40 maybe 50 percent like the tech boom because things can change quickly and that takes a long time to recover
2: yeah and as you said i mean if that is falling most people you're down 70 percent. they're gonna sell because they're gonna panic and yeah i mean if you would have bought microsoft after the collapse (laughs) yeah you've done great during that time period but the problem is there's a lot of people that bought into Microsoft during the hype, then a lot of them sold it as the hype fizzled out and they had big losses. And I know a lot of people too, they, they never got back into stocks because they said, oh, stocks are risky. It's like, well, you bought Microsoft at a very expensive ratio and then you sold it. And yeah,
1: of course you didn't do well on stocks. And again, managing money through this, <clears throat> people say, oh, Brent, you're too conservative. You're, you're missing the boat. You don't understand technology and so forth. And they were so convinced it was going to go, keep going higher and higher. And then when the crash did come, you're right. They left the market not to come back for years, missing many good returns at that point in time. So people get too excited emotionally about where things are. And I'm sorry, Microsoft, NVIDIA, uh, they may go higher, but <laughs> it's, uh, look at history. We can even talk about the tulip bulb crisis. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I, I'm, and I'm going to say I would never do this because – you know i i think a lot of technology is expensive but the problem that people have as well is they don't even you know put a portion of the portfolio in it they get so excited about it that they put all of their portfolio into these big tech companies and again we can talk about this more but obviously the s p 500 the nasdaq i mean it's very heavily tilted towards these tech companies So you are not as diversified as you think so then you have these people that they're so heavy into tech that you don't even have a diversified portfolio that when this becomes an issue, and I, I strongly believe it will, I mean, you're going to lose your shirt in this type of collapse. And that's where I think a lot of issues ensue is people, they chase the hype. They want to get those returns. They want to try and average 20% per year investing. And, and frankly, we'll tell you, that is not sustainable over the long term. That's how you end up losing money. That's the big risks that people take. And that's where people
1: correlate investing in the stock market is risky and chase i think they could lose their shirt and maybe their pants too if they're not careful you know so but again and it's also in mutual funds we've seen mutual funds etfs that they're so heavily concentrating the technology companies check your mutual fund check your etf because they could be holding a big portion there and that could really decline dramatically and it would hurt the S&P 500 as well yeah so all right uh, well you know it's time to talk to our financial planner uh, Harrison Johnson talking about the future workforce Harrison you with us
3: I am here how you doing guys
1: well good good talk about the future workforce uh, so that's, that's the wrong topic there what's well, the wrong topic what what do you mean What what okay that's why he's so confused. Yeah, (laughs) what are you guys talking about?
3: That doesn't sound like what I want to talk about. He's like, what do you mean?
1: Wait a minute. Okay, that sounds more like Harrison. (laughs) Understanding your tax phases. There There we go. go. That's financial planning. Okay, let's talk taxes. (laughs) Yes, that's financial planning. There it
3: is. So yeah, that's that's it. So understanding your tax phases. So sometimes it feels like taxes only go up, but it doesn't have to be that way. In fact, most people go through different tax phases. During their lives while you're working taxes seem high because you're subject to a lot of different taxes you've got federal taxes you've got state taxes you've got Social Security taxes Medicare disability taxes all being withheld then when you retire things change you're no longer subject to payroll taxes which if you're in California that's a flat tax of eight point seven five percent when you add in Social Security Medicare and disability and in retirement some of your retirement income may be partially or even fully tax-free so for a lot of people that initial part of retirement might be a period of low taxation which means you don't need as much total income to produce the cash flow that you need to live your life then as you get into your 70s and 80s and 90s and beyond that you may see your taxes increase again due to required distributions you have to take from retirement accounts and also extra premiums you have to pay for Medicare. So by taking a step back and understanding these different tax phases that you go through, you can take advantage of your tax situation and create a plan to reduce that lifetime tax bill uh, You know, going forward.
1: And Harrison, you mer- meet with many clients. Where would you rate tax savings or paying taxes when you meet with people? How do they how feel? How would I rate it as far as you, how important you, it is? How important it is at? to them, yes. How important it is to them.
3: I mean, I, I consider myself more of a tax planner. I mean, that's kind of the priority that I look at because there's so much that can be done tax-wise as far as, you know, what income you should be taking at certain times, how should you be deferring income, how should you be accelerating income in some cases, how you can, you know, restructure the assets that you have to create the right level of income during the right years. So a lot of tax or a lot of financial planning is really, tax planning, which if you can save your tax bill or reduce your tax bill every single year, that's going to leave more money in your pocket. So that means, you know, you have more money for spending, you have more money that you can invest, you can have more compounding, and and it just kind of improves everything. So when I meet with somebody, and I'm presenting their plan to them, the first thing I do with everybody is an overview on how taxes work, because tax planning is such an important and crucial part of your overall financial planning picture
1: and you're projecting now in the future and different things that they can do you talk about the medicare tax there's so many different things that people stumble on that they don't realize until it's too late so you can prepare them so they probably go in their cpa like oh yeah your your taxes are set up so nice how come well because harrison johnson's (laughs) my financial planner
3: (laughs) and you know a lot of people will look at it and say oh well you know it's who knows what the taxes are going to look like in the future tax rates might be higher lower sideways You know, who knows what it's all going to look like. So it's hard to predict. And that's not the right way of looking at it. And really, you don't need to know exactly, you know, what the tax rates are going to look like in the future. You also don't need to know exactly the dollar amount of income that you're going to have. All you need to know is a a pretty good idea of the level of income that you'll have. Because by understanding that, then you'll understand what you know expected tax bracket or tax tier that you'll be subject to, and you know you can take a step back and say, well, you know when I'm working, I'm I'm paying more taxes because I'm in these higher tax rates. Uh, when I get into retirement, my income is probably going to be in this range, which means I'll, I'll be in this tier, and then later on it's going to be higher. So, you know you don't have to know exactly what the future is going to be, but if you project out and you know take a look at your assets and income now and how that's going to change, you can get a really good idea of you know what your tax situation is going to be. and if you can understand that, that'll help you make the right decisions along the way.
1: Great. well, Harrison, this is why financial planning is so important for people to really sit down and you do a lot of listening in the beginning to find out what their situation is. and I know you met with somebody today. I think you're in the office like two and a half hours. I was waiting for you guys to come out like you're in there forever.
3: Yeah, it was about three hours today. So, you know, those meetings take a long time because there's a lot to go through. But at the end of it, you know, you're, you're very confident and comfortable with, you know, all the things that you're doing because you're, everything makes sense and it all comes down to the numbers.
1: Yes. Well, Harrison, thank you very much. Uh, you have a great day. We'll see you on Monday.
3: All right. Thanks, guys. We'll see you Monday.
1: Okay. Bye-bye. Again, as uh, Harrison Johnson, he is our financial planner. He is a CFP. He's on a salary. He's not going to try to sell you annuities or life insurance. He's really going to do a true fee-based financial plan for you. If you want to talk to them, give them a call at the office, 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Go to the website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. You can send them an email there. All right, well, let's talk about the companies. And again, this is Super Bowl weekend. Uh, Chase, I got—I kind of lied to you a little bit here. You said, why am I picking BJ restaurants? Well, there is something going on. Many times I looked at activist holdings and a fund one investments reported an active investor that they disclosed they own 2.2 2, 2. 2 million shares of the restaurant. So I'm thinking, hmm, what are they seeing here? Maybe we need to look at this and be in Super Bowl weekend. I thought, yeah, this would be kind of fun. So how many people go to a restaurant in Super Bowl? I, I, I've never heard that. Is that popular? Yes, I believe the oh, number... Oh, have numbers for uh, your Yeah, because for my segment on side tomorrow, I have numbers, and the number is, this is approximately 16.8 million people go to restaurants. Wow, I'm, yeah. I'm shocked by
2: that. And I, I, I was going to say, you know, for our, our podcast listeners, they'll find out how good we are, but, you know, <laughs>
1: who, who do we got on Sunday? What do you mean who we got on Sunday? Who's who are you playing? Picking? Who are you picking? I'm going with the 49ers. Okay. I, I, yeah, I've I made that decision to go. Good choice. <laughs> yeah. Good choice. I still
2: think, hot take, I think there's collusion in the NFL right now. There's got... no way that Taylor Swift <laughs> starts dating Travis Kelsey and all of a sudden they make it to the Super Bowl. I, I'm just going to put it out there. It's, you, you it's know, very
1: odd. And, and CBS, Paramount, they're going to be actually, that. that's who's showing the Super Bowl. And there are, are, are bets on how many times – CBS is going to show Taylor Swift.
2: I mean, you think about it. They've made <laughs> so much money off Taylor Swift now being in the Super Bowl with all the betting, with all the, the media now wanting to sell commercials. I mean, it, it was a, gosh. Either the NFL got really lucky
1: or there's some strange things going on there. Uh, you know, I wouldn't argue on that. And, <laughs> and do you think she's getting maybe 5% of the $7 million they're getting for the commercials? I, I don't know.
2: Yeah, it's crazy, but (laughs) I digress. I'm also taking the Niners. I just hate the Chiefs, so um, I'll be a Niners
1: fan this weekend. And one other thing, too, be careful when you go to those parties because the average calories during a Super Bowl feast is 8,300. Not healthy food at those Super Bowl feasts. Per fees. person. Per person, yes. Ooh, wow. yeah. <laughs> All right, well, let's talk about uh, BJ's restaurant here because they, they are obviously a restaurant in the restaurant industry. Uh, there is 16.2% uh, uh, short on the float, which I'm kind of surprised that's high. Um, we do see that they have not reported earnings yet. P.E. ratio kind of high, 56 versus 29. Price to sales is good, though, 0.6 versus 2.7. Price to book value... versus not material for the industry price of cash flow looks good as well 9.5 versus 17.7 and a very good peg ratio 0.2 versus 6 you want that peg ratio lower it tells you're not paying very much for the future growth of the company now the earnings are up 279 percent over the past year well above the industry up 50 percent sales are up 5.4 percent not as good as the industry and the five-year growth rate from analysts this is the exciting part they're looking for earnings to grow by 180 percent over the next five years they do not pay a dividend unfortunately look at the balance sheet we got a current ratio of 0.3 versus 1.3 and i gotta tell you that non-liquidity that scares me an awful lot especially when the debt to equity is 1.3 we do see a net profit margin of 1.2 versus 9.1 and return to equity 4.3 we like you to have at least be at uh uh 15 or higher. You you got to give me some good numbers here going forward, Jason, to say we want to buy this. What did you say company. the debt to equity was? The debt to equity is 1.3. And yeah. and that's not out of line. Was such a low liquidity. The current ratio is 0. 0.3. That is not a lot of liquidity. Now I
2: I, I still wonder the food and beer. I mean, you're not going to keep a lot in inventory, in theory. So, I mean, but that's still really low. You still want a good quick ratio, which excludes inventory. So,
1: and that's the same. That's point three as well. Yeah. So yeah. I, it's just very
2: low. But obviously, there's not that inventory
1: buffer that you normally get with the current ratio. And I know we've looked at uh, restaurants before, and I believe this is also our franchise model, which w- that does change things a little bit. I was going to say, I wonder because most of the time I've seen debt to equity much
2: higher for for the franchise model, mm-hmm. but I wonder if they actually own and operate these restaurants because the debt to equity at 130 percent is actually not that bad when you look at like i'm gonna say mcdonald's or you look at i know we've looked at okay. like uh the ihop and applebee's i think that's dine brands uh, Bloomin brands I, i've looked at these different ones and those debt to equity sometimes are not material so
1: i do wonder if they own and operate these businesses well it could be Wow, well, it, it it's break time already okay well let's take a break uh, we'll be right back after this quick break <laughs> All righty. Welcome back to the second half of the Smart Investing Show. We left off talking about the BJ's restaurants. And Chase, I think I was kind of tossing the ball to you. We're talking more about their debt and so forth. But I'm really very curious going forward what their earnings are because I do see some issues here with the Current ratio, of liquidity of the business, which could cause me problems. So let's see what you got.
2: Yeah, and just remind you the, the ticker symbol again for BJ's restaurants it's BJRI. I see the current price here is $36.04. Wow, look at this the 52 week low, $21.64, and the 52 week high, $37.83. So it's done very well off that 52 week low. uh I'm going to say I'm kind of not that surprised because I guess people have been spending a lot at restaurants over the past uh, couple of years here. Unfortunately though, I'm gonna throw that out already, go out to December mm-hmm. two thousand twenty four. I see estimated earnings per share of a dollar and twenty-nine cents. Again, we use our sixteen point six multiple. We get a target sell price of just twenty one dollars and forty one cents, so pretty substantially below that current price of thirty six oh four. Means they trade at a forward PE of a uh, close to thirty times. And I gotta point this out. This is kind of strange i see december 2023 looks like they haven't reported for the fiscal year yet but they're looking for earnings growth of 994 percent wow what the heck happened in 2022 where their earnings were depressed obviously they were negative and then even too in 2024 they're looking for earnings growth of 67 percent not as many analysts yet for 2025, but still 21% growth. So, I mean, there's a lot of potential growth on these earnings. Are they looking at restaurant expansion? Maybe they expanded and now kind of they're able to focus on margin. I mean, there's definitely either a margin or a growth story here to get that type of earnings growth.
1: And maybe more things will happen in in 2025 for this company, but I I would just not be comfortable at this point in time to do it. But I think I'm very comfortable going to the restaurant and, and eating there. And they got these Fantastic desserts!
2: Oh, the Pazuki! Yes, oh, yes, yeah. they're so good.
1: Wow, I like BJ's. It's a great restaurant. It is a great restaurant. So don't buy the stock. Go to the restaurant, enjoy the food there, enjoy the Super Bowl there. So, all right, so let's move on. We we, we want to talk about this whole deal that's come up on the sports world, and I've talked about this. I hate not having my cable because it was so easy before you can watch everything together. Now you got go to go to Peacock. You got to go to you know uh, Max. You got to go to Paramount. I mean, all these different. They're trying to combine this for the sports world, but I don't think they're there yet. And the numbers haven't come out yet what they're going to charge for this, which is not going to be cheap. I Rumors are like $50 a month. And, wow. you know, I
2: as a sports fan, I look at it and even go, I don't even know if I want to do that, to be honest with you. I I, I mean, the only company I've had an issue with really is Fox, because the only sport I'm going to say I really care about is the NFL and then um also too i like to watch the padres but now the padres you can get direct to consumer i think for like 19 a month so i can get that during Padres season and then for the nfl i'm able to watch you know i uh, grudgingly became a chargers fan again <laughs> so i can watch most of those games either on paramount plus or i can watch it on peacock if they play on sunday night or um the only other ones i have issues with is monday night football on espn and also to uh, Fox because Fox doesn't have a streaming service, right. so I know you like the cable, but part of me says I know what I want to watch all the time It's either the <laughs> NFL Padres or CNBC, right? That's really the only things I need to watch on TV and I, I, They still haven't come out with a package for me that I like just yet I guess
1: and, and, and that's why right. we're gonna look at Comcast because they're on the other side of the coin I thought we're looking at Fox. No, because uh, Fox just reported earnings. So we want to do Comcast.
2: Okay, that's yeah. right That's uh, yeah. right.
1: So but but you know looking at this deal the problem of the deal is that you still have CBS, which has, what, a contract with the NFL for another eight years. Uh, You've got now, you've got uh, Amazon showing sports, uh, Google. You still don't get everything in one place. You still have to have many different things, so it's not there yet. I kind of wonder, I would love to have the old days back where everything's in one place for, for cable. With that, let's look at Comcast to see what their numbers look like because the other ones were the reporting earnings or have just reported earnings. We don't have good numbers yet. Maybe next week we'll look at that. But Comcast and the telecom service industry, this is amazing. It's not going down because the short on the float is is only 1.1%, so no one's really thinking this is going to drop anymore. They've got a great PE ratio, 11.3 versus 19.9, price of sales 1.4 versus 1.2, price of book value 2 versus 1.6, and price of cash flow is higher for Comcast at 6.1 versus 4.7. I always love that peg ratio, it's one for the company versus 9.7, that's a positive. Well, the earnings for Comcast were up 206% over the past year. The industry up 12.7. Here is the problem. Sales only grew by 0.5%, but the whole industry only up 0.5%. The five-year growth rate in the earnings from the analysts, 9.8% for Comcast, only 56 for the industry. I like the dividend, 3%, and they only use 31% of the earnings to pay that out. Look at the balance sheet. Uh, current ratio a little bit risky, 06 versus 1.1%. Debt to equity one point two, not bad, especially compared to the industry at one point seven. Net profit margin, very good, twelve point seven versus six point five. And return on equity also good, eighteen point six versus eleven point nine. I'm kinda of liking what I'm seeing here, Chase. What do you got going forward? Yeah, so again looking at Comcast
2: Corporation, their ticker ticker symbol is CMCSA. Their current price forty-two dollars and seven cents. I see the fifty-two week low is thirty-four dollars and sixty-three cents. The high was forty seven dollars and forty-six cents. And I got to say, it's kind of interesting. When they reported earnings, I think they did pretty well. Mm-hmm. They were doing quite well to start the year, and now they're actually down about 6% on the year, and and most of that has come from this week. In fact, all of it, actually. They're <laughs> down about 7% over the last five days. So I don't know if this announcement of the joint venture, again, between uh, Disney's ESPN, Warner Brother Discovery, and also, to Fox has pressured the Peacock concern, like, oh, my gosh, yeah. you know, Peacock, are they going to be left out? i think a lot of those concerns could be overblown especially we don't know hardly anything about this joint venture yet (laughs) i think again people are selling first asking questions later potentially for some of these businesses that aren't going to be involved in the joint venture looking at the numbers for uh almost said peacock (laughs) but comcast (laughs) and and it's interesting too they also do internet as well so they're not just you know peacock and the uh the broadcast tv They, they do have some other business lines and other revenue to consider if you are looking at the stock But we go out to December 2025, I see estimated earnings per share here, $4.62. I mean, it gives us a target sell price of $76.69. I mean, it's trading at a forward PE of around nine times earnings. I mean, this appears to kind of check all the boxes for what we'd be looking for.
1: And and what you have to do, because this is we always say, the start of the research. You really have to understand this business because I know uh, CNBC talks about Comcast as their owner. Uh, You mentioned the internet you got to really understand more about this business because the numbers look good. It makes it worthwhile looking into it. But what's going to happen down the road? Uh, and again, not a big short. If this was going to have problems because of cable, you'd see short at 10
2: 15%. I, and I mean, I, I look at the earnings growth. I mean, they're looking for earnings growth. It's not setting the world on fire, but for 7% this year, 8% next year, I mean, you're, you're getting sound growth and, and very low valuations. I, I like that. And the other thing, too, I want to know what networks they own because- Frankly, if people started, again, cutting the cord more aggressively, I think CNBC would be able to still be profitable by doing something because people... I think would still wanna watch CNBC. So I don't think he would have like, oh my gosh, they're, they've lost all this money on you know uh, television because right. now people cut the cord. I think people would still find CNBC and they could still make that asset profitable.
1: And they also do grow that dividend by a small amount as well. So over the, fa- the last five years, they've averaged about an 8.8% growth rate. Actually not that small, actually pretty decent.
2: Yeah, I, I, yeah. I don't know. I mean, this is, I'd say definitely worthwhile for further research.
1: Yes, yeah. I, and I like the whole excitement behind it. I like Cable. I'm sorry. I'm an old guy. What can I say? I like they
2: it. even have Peacock. I like Peacock because <laughs> I, I get to watch the, the Sunday Night Football. It's very easy to do that. They had the NFL games on there for the playoffs. I mean, I, I think they're they're not they're not watching as cables dying and as much as you like cable i'm sorry it's dying people are not <laughs> wanting cable as much anymore and you look at the numbers people are cutting the cord faster than even people thought they would
1: right but they will i think they will come up with something because it's just too darn confusing trying to go to all these different sites to somehow put everything together make it easier for people because i now have to write down what i was watching on what what's you know was that on peacock was it on amazon i forget what i'm watching where so i got to write it down with a pen and paper how's that that's old school
2: Gosh, you're having issues there. I, dare, are I am. You're over overcomplicating TV.
1: <laughs> it is. Very complicated. <laughs> well, let's un- uncomplicate the real estate market. And for that, we turn to Robert B. Heck, uh, president of Countywide Mortgage Lending. Robert, how are you doing this today? Good morning, gentlemen. How's it going? It is going great. I, I love the topic today because I, I don't think there's any surprise, the lack of inventory in the real estate market and what it is doing to prices. But uh, we want to hear your expert opinion.
0: I was at an event last evening, and the person was talking uh, really about how they're concerned about buying a home right now because the the market's going to fall apart. And it's really just the lack of education that I I continually run into out there. We have about a million three homes in San Diego County, the whole county. There's about 5,000 homes for sale right now.
2: 5,000,
0: wow. (laughs) For the whole county. And about 1,600 of those for the whole county are like three-bedroom, (laughs) two-bath. There's just nothing for sale. It's less than a half a percent. So inventory is incredibly tight. It's keeping prices up. And builders can't build quick enough to bring that number down. There's just nothing to fix this problem short term. So,
1: go ahead. Well, I I was going to say, too, and and this is especially true in California because I know California has so many regulations for builders, permits, and everything else they have to go to. Doesn't that add to the inventory problem trying to build a home in California?
0: So, uh, for... The folks that are really good at this, and there are quite a few of them, but it it still takes them about a year to, once they break dirt, to finish something. And you look at uh, what's out there that's on the books, that may add another $15,000, or another 15,000, excuse me, homes in our county of a million three homes. That's really not even a drop in the bucket. So... The equity position, people have so much equity this time go around. That's the other thing, because I keep being asked, when's the foreclosure going to happen, Robert? When's (laughs) when's the market going to crash?
1: Too strong of an economy for that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, the the economy's strong, people are working, and there's so much equity. Why would I go into foreclosure? i just sell my house.
1: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. I don't know what it is in California, but I know nationwide there's sixteen trillion dollars of equity in homes. I mean, you're you're right on that. They have very strong equity in homes. But what is going to change this, Robert? I mean, what do you see going forward in the next year or so?
0: So rates are gonna come down this year for a multiple of reasons. Maybe not as much as we hope, but they are gonna come down. It's going to exacerbate the problem. We're gonna just have we're already seeing still two, three offers for home we're going to get back to where there's five or six. Wow. And the only thing that's out there that they're talking about is they're talking about giving a capital gains uh, increase on property. So if I sell my home right now, I'm single, I get 250. If I'm married, I get a half a million. You know, that was never indexed towards inflation. That rule is 35 years old. Uh, They're talking about (laughs) doubling it, but.
2: Yeah, it, we'll see. With well, thirty-five years ago, you said so. I'm shocked they gave you that much of an exclusion back then. I mean, <laughs> most homes weren't even you know five hundred thousand dollars.
0: Exactly, but that that was the whole thing. It wasn't supposed to be something to hold you back. Yeah, right. And we start to look at nowadays what the prices of homes are, and people are going, you know, I'm going to pay so much to Uncle Sam and taxes. I don't know if I want to do it. That would definitely shake things up and allow some of the baby boomers maybe to move sideways or, or downsize, not necessarily price-wise, but downsize as far as size goes into something a little smaller and uh, take their money with them.
1: Well, Robert, people are hearing you on the radio saying, gee, what do I do? How do I get a hold of Robert? Because I want to talk to an expert that's been doing this, and you've been doing it for what thirty years? Over thirty years, you've been in our community here. So, how do? Thirty-five years. Yeah. How do you get, yep. Yep. How, how do get hold of you?
0: Phone number is seven six zero four four three three eight two one. That number again is seven six zero four four three thirty eight twenty one. Or our website is countywidemtg.com, dot com. mtg.com
1: and Robert, that goes directly to you. You don't have to go through a phone tree or anything else. I believe that's your cell phone. Is that correct?
0: It, 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 they all come to me eventually. Uh, so, yes, <laughs> that is my direct cell phone. If you call our office phone, it rings to my cell phone. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I talk to folks every day.
1: Great. Well, Robert, thanks for talking to us today, and uh, we'll talk more next week.
0: Exciting. Have a great one.
1: You too. Bye-bye. Bye now. Again, as Robert Hick from Countywide Mortgage Lending, call him at 760 443 3821. Again, that's 760 443 3821.
2: And uh, Countywide Mortgage Lending is a division of Golden Empire Mortgage, Inc., NMLS number 110. 110- Four five eight five licensed by the Department of Financial Protection and Innovation under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. Kennedy Martin Mortgage Lending is an equal housing lender and proud member of the BBB. So thank you again, Robert, for joining us today.
1: Yeah, some good information. Again, no surprise on the real estate, but man, it's. you're trying to buy a house, uh, you got to really talk to somebody that knows what they're doing. I I
2: mean, it is crazy because I, I, you know, I'm still renting and, you know, I I still, I don't feel pressured to buy. I feel very good in my situation. But, um, you know, when I look at it, it, it's, I'm always looking in Poway and there's just never homes to look at, you know. I mean, the inventory is just so tight here. And I, I think it's. It's going to take several years, I think, to actually get it corrected because yeah. of the wild swing in mortgage rates that, that Robert just kind of talked about.
1: Well, we're on that topic. Let's talk about banks because we've had some issues with banks with commercial lending. The re- the regional banks have really been kind of devastated somewhat, and and so let's let's switch over. I mean, one bank that is a regional bank that, that I've known for years. I think they're very strong. Is a KeyCorp. Uh, so let's take a look at a KeyCorp bank. Uh, their symbol is K E Y in the regional bank industry. Hearing how much float on the short side, 3.3, that's safe, 81.1% institutional owned. P.E. ratio 15.8, that is above the industry at 8.2, that's not a good start. Uh, price to sales 2.1, same as the industry. Price to book value 1.4, about half the industry at 2.5. Price to cash flow 3.8, also looking good compared to the industry at 7.5. But unfortunately, no peg ratio going forward, so that is disappointing. Now their earnings have fallen by 35.9%. When the industry's up 182.3. And that's very surprising to me, because this is the industry of banks regional. How the industry went up? 182%? I I can't understand that one. But we do see sales for, for key corp were down six point seven percent, industry up six point three. The five year growth estimate for key is uh negative five point eight versus a positive three point six. Key key bank's not looking very good here so far. They still pay a dividend, five point nine percent. They use sixty-seven percent of the earnings to pay that out. Uh, we do see they've had that dividend for 10 over 10 consecutive years. Uh banks have a little bit different balance sheet. There's no current ratio, no uh quick ratio. Debt equity 1.9 versus 1.3. Net profit margin is very good, 19.8, but wait a minute, the whole industry is at 27.8. So 19.8 is good, but 27.8 is better. Return equity 8.6 versus 11.5. I I was hoping for something better here, Chase. Maybe you got something better going forward.
2: Yeah, we'll start off here again the the Current price for Key Corp, again, their ticker symbol is KEY, K-E-Y. Well, it's $13.89. I see the 52-week low is $8.54. And the high here, $19.65. I see over the last year they're down about 29%. No surprise considering, obviously, the banking crisis we went through last year. You can see a big fall off in the stock price from, uh, you know, February through March of last year, and uh, your date even the stock is still actually down a, a few percent here, 3.5% uh, to be exact. But going forward for again KeyCorp, we go out to December 2025. I do see estimated earnings per share here of $1.68. It gives us a target sell price of $27.89. So I mean the, the valuations are low. You, you're getting gosh uh, around a 100% gain essentially based off our target sell price and a forward PE that that's around eight eight and a half and a half times earnings
1: and, and again I, and I see that they went up in 2014 a dollar eighteen you said 2025 was a dollar 68 you said yeah yeah I mean I mean that's incredible and I go back 90 days it was a dollar seventy. what you have to do when you're getting into these industries or these banks is look to see the best you can what those loans are because I've talked about this a lot of these commercial loans they're international they're not even in the banks I think it's like 18 19 percent is overseas loans and where are those loans at? Now, if you have a lot in New York City or San Francisco, you probably got problems.
2: Well, and I think the big issue here, again, is we got in the news that, what was the name of it? New York City Bank or New York yeah. County Bank. I I don't remember the exact name of the, the bank in New York. But everybody's worried about, oh, my gosh, we're having another banking issue here with this bank. I still believe that this, this issue is fixated on one bank. I mean, you dive down deep into that. That bank is the one that purchased Signature Bank. Well, they had to not go through any regulatory hurdles before because they were too small now all of a sudden (laughs) who let them buy them i i think was a silly decision because now you're over 100 billion in assets you've never gone through regulatory hurdles now you're managing through a major integration and new regulatory burdens that was a silly decision so now you're having that issue they're having issues with the commercial properties and and one thing too kind of off topic a little bit but if i held this new york bank I heard as well on the news that it wasn't just office, but it was also multifamily that they were having issues with because New York has a rent cap. So that's pressuring the valuations on some of these multifamily issues. So I mean, this is, I think, really fixated and and really just stuck on one bank. I still don't see a banking crisis that's going to fold over into all these other banks. We saw it happen last year with Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank. First Republic, I think, was just unfortunately in the wrong place at the wrong time. New York Bank, I think, could also be another domino to fall. But I think what could happen is they could just get acquired. Potentially, if there is a a, a bank run again, as people get worried about a fall in New York, New York's bank there.
1: And, and actually, I believe there's a lawsuit against the bank for taking on this big of a I'll call it a problem. Now, because J P Morgan, they took over. Uh, Who's it? First Republic, right? Yeah. For them, it was like nothing. Nothing. It's like, that made sense. But you have a smaller bank trying to take up a, a bank, even the same size, it, it, it makes no sense. And you said now because they've doubled in size, now they got new regulations they even know about. With J.P. Morgan, they do the regulations all the time, and it, they probably would, a large department takes care of that.
2: Yeah, and as much as I like competition, to save the banking system, I think it would've just been easier much simpler to let, you know, Signature Bank get acquired by, you know, uh, they wouldn't let Wells Fargo do it because they're showing the the (laughs) regulatory, uh, you know, hurdles they have to overcome, but, you know, like a Bank of America do it. You know, have them kind of consolidate it because it's still such a small percentage of the overall banking assets. Just let them get consolidated there. And we've talked about this a lot before where there's so many banks here in the United States compared to other countries around the world. And, And frankly, it's like, you know, Chase, Bank of America... You know, even the city groups, Wells Fargo's, I mean... I still think if you want to be in financials, that's the safest way to do it. You might be able to make more money in some of these regionals, but I think they come with a lot more risk. I think financials is a great place to be, and I was a little bit more optimistic that we might see some good numbers on Key Corp, but frankly, I st- I still think I'd rather just stick to the big money center banks because I think you can do very well without taking on you know some of the risk that you may get with these regional banks.
1: In our portfolio, I mean, we're probably, I think, about 35% of financials because we, we would not add another regional bank, we'd be too heavy in financials. But I think there is some opportunity here. If you do the research, and again, I think Key Corp could be a possibility. There are larger regionals. Larger yeah. regional. And what happens is that you know you throw the baby out with the bathwater, the whole industry has come down. But if you do the research like we do, you can find some good values. So and not to say, oh, next week you made all this money, but if you buy good quality business like, a, and we'll say Key Corp, uh, although we've not done the research on it. Um, Two, three years, like, wow, I, I made you know 50% of that investment, which is normal. That's a, that's a good return on two, three years.
2: Let me ask you this. Right here, right now, would you take a key corp or a, a good sound regional bank, or would you take a big money center bank? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: that's a tough one, because we know the money center banks are safer, and I think they will grow Um but i i i think if we didn't have so much in our portfolio in financials again about 35% and say we're at like 15 or 18 i i think i would take on a a, a, a keycorp yeah it, with the research i'm i yeah i mean i guess we already have i'm going to give it
2: away a little bit we have two banks in the portfolio i guess i just like our two banks better than than keycorp
1: uh yeah but i i think over the next 2 years I think a keycorp, you could have a better return on a keycorp over two years than you will have on the big money money center banks.
2: Maybe I don't know. <laughs> we, we talked about Citigroup earlier in the year too. I I almost think I would rather buy a Citigroup than a, a keycorp. I mean, there, there's, I don't. I, I mean, you got to yeah. dive down deeper in the numbers. There's all kind of speculation at the end of the day here, but um, you know. I, I don't know. I I just get worried with the regionals because you have the concentration a little bit more in in certain areas of the country, which can hurt you, also can help you potentially. But I don't know. I mean, I think it's worth looking at. But I know for me personally, I, I think I, I like where our banks are at. And I, I wouldn't necessarily look at selling one of
1: our banks to buy a different bank. No, and I wouldn't do that. That's but what I'm not going
2: to tell anybody what our banks are. You no, we're not going to tell them what the <laughs> banks are. But
1: yeah. Um, you know, Chase, we got a little more time here, just a few more minutes. Uh, you you want to look at Meta? Because I know Meta's just been on fire lately. Yeah, we can look at Meta real okay, quick. Well, let's take a look. And, and Meta, you, you know, it's kind of funny. They should go back to the Facebook name because this whole Meta universe or whatever they called it never really materialized. Maybe well, and it, the it's, future. it
2: saved the stock. It <laughs> was it them getting the rid of the Metaverse. It right. saved the stock. They need to get rid of Meta and go back to Facebook. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, Facebook, uh, again, see, I said Facebook. And if somebody used to be FB. Now it's Meta. It's M-E-T-A for uh Meadow. They're in the internet uh, content information industry, only 1.2% float. Surprised on this, only 78% institutional owned. Uh, We do have earnings for the last quarter here. So the P.E. ratio, 31.5, above the industry at 25.5. Price to sales, 9.1 versus 5.9. Price to book value 9.1. This is better than the industry of 44.5, and price to cash flow 17.3 versus 18.4. And they do have a good pay ratio, one versus 6.8. Now I gotta love these earnings, 73% over the past year. They've increased their earnings. Industry's up 82.8. Sales increased by 15.7. Not as good as the industry at 19.6. Meta does have a five-year growth rate in the earnings from the analysts of. 26% versus 19.7. New to the company, dividend yield, 0.4%. Uh, yeah, I know, it's so exciting. Wow, what can you do with that? Uh, we do have look at the balance sheets. Current ratio, 2.7 versus 2.4. Debt, not much debt, 0.2. Their net profit margin is 29% versus 22.5. Return equity, 25.5 versus 25.8 for the industry. We've got some good numbers. We know the stock is expensive. What do you got going forward?
2: Yeah, current price here for, again, meta platforms, Facebook, Instagram, whatever you want to call them there, $468.11. The 52-week low here, $167.66. 52-week high, $485.96. We know that the year of efficiency from Mark Zuckerberg, as they call it, was definitely effective for shareholders. I know Last year, the stock's up about 156%. Large company here, market cap $1.2 trillion. Now, since they have reported earnings, we go out to December 2025. I see estimated earnings per share there. Well, it's $22.69. That would give us a target sell price of $376.65. So below that current price means they trade at a little bit over 20 times earnings. Frankly, not as bad as I thought at 20 Mm -hmm. times earnings. Still doesn't fit that value approach. Um, But It's one of the more inexpensive big tech companies, I guess I'll put it that way.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And I I know that they were spending a lot on the meta universe before. I think they cut back on their spending. Substantially. Yeah, and I think that's why the earnings have jumped so much. But are are they sitting back and seeing what Apple does with theirs? Then they're going to jump in? What do you think? I don't know. I mean it,
2: it's yeah, I, I I just I don't think the metaverse is gonna pan out, so I, I think it saved them honestly.
1: Yeah. Well there's a closing bell. Thank you for listening to Smart Investing Show. It is for informational person only and should not be used as investment advice. If you'd like to discuss in more detail your investment needs or have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858 two two four zero 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 four again that's eight five eight two two four zero 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 four and be sure to visit the website smartinvesting investing 2000.com that's smartinvesting investing 2000.com if you missed any part of the show you can listen by podcast there thanks for listening we'll be back next week right here on the smart investing show